Dude, hang in there, that's Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. Hello, friends. I am Charlie Hume, and I'm joining you from an attic in Durham, North Carolina. And Smiley Kaufman is joining us from where, Smiley, are you now? You are in route home from the Travelers Championship in Cromwell, Connecticut. Where are you at this very moment? I-20 West, mile marker 31. I am not happy with Delta <laughs> Airlines. I praised them in our topical episode where we talked about our favorite airlines and, and the things we don't like about airports. Mm. Sitting there praising them. Here I am in a rental car and driving back home uh, with some issues with Delta. But, hey, it's fine. Uh, crazy storm in Atlanta. Just happy uh, to kind of be home at a decent hour, I guess, and then get home around 11. Yeah, we are going to have to re-rack the airline slash airport rankings with this uh, late-breaking development that Delta, uh, I, I guess, no fault of Delta Zone. The weather is the weather, but still uh, not necessarily fun to be driving to Birmingham, Alabama in a rental car from Atlanta Airport late on a Sunday night. But uh, no, with that- hold on. We got to tell, I mean, we got to tell them what happened. You know, the when you land, like I was landing at 9 p.m. and at... 9 p.m. was my flight to Birmingham. So, you know, obviously mm. wasn't going to make the flight, but I land and see that my original flight that was supposed to leave at nine is now leaving at 10 15. I'm like, oh, I got an hour and 10 minutes. Go to my app and it says, oh, we rebooked you on the 8 25 a.m. flight tomorrow morning. Mm. It's like, oh, thanks a lot. That's really nice of you. Uh, and other words, other words, other words. And I hit the chat, little Delta chat lady. <laughs> and I said some things to her who, you know, she's a robot, but she needed to hear it from me, uh, what I thought. So her and I are on a, probably not a good, good deal right now, but it's fine. We're heading all, all good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me rescind my statement by, by a large fault of Delta's own, uh, Delta, come on, make, make it right. This was this is not good. This is not good stuff from your end. Um, but but you this know is the a- worst thing about this is is on this. You know the plane's gonna fly over me here pretty soon, and it's gonna be <laughs> the most frustrating thing in the world watching this plane fly right over top of me to Birmingham <laughs> with your golf clubs on it. By the way, which uh, yeah, is uh, well, actually they can keep they can keep those. They, <laughs> we can we can we can replace those. Uh, yeah, I, I I would say yeah that the the auto rebook it's very confusing to me. Let's 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 kind of let's go down this tangent a little bit. What what type of rental car did they get you in? Anything nice? Oh no, like I booked that through Golf Channel. Uh, luckily, mm-hmm. had one of our production assistants. I texted her mid flight, said what the issue I was having. But when I landed, I had a rental car uh, booked through Hertz, and so it was okay. It just took when I landed to getting to the rental car in Atlanta one hour. It's like that is entirely too long to get from when you land into the rental car. I'm like, that's just in itself a, a just yeah. a mess. Yeah, we you know what that it's rent the rental car process, it needs to get better. That's a whole other subject for another day. Oh, Why? I, did, I didn't even wait in a line. I, I waited in zero lines. Uh it was just getting on all these seven different shuttles uh, yeah. out of that airport. It's a never-ending cycle at Atlanta Airport trying to pop on from one shuttle to the next to the next to the next. And yeah, we we're well-documented. You're well-documented as having a disdain for the shuttle processes at airports. Uh, and, and that's before you, thankfully you didn't have to wait in the line, but shuttles plus lines 
uh, you may never have gotten back to Birmingham and your clubs no. may or may not have made it. And the, the plane would have, would have been home before you would have turned the keys in the ignition. So um, that, yes, not, I, I'm sorry to hear it, but this is of course an explanation for the nature of the sound quality of this podcast. Smiley, of course, just doing it boots on the ground, boot, boots on the road, uh, doing it for all the listeners out there joining us with ear pods in while he drives home. So uh, big ups to you on that front. But um, so, of course, so you you were there in Cromwell this weekend uh, covering the travelers for for Golf Channel NBC. And what a fun sort of hometown story. Keegan Bradley getting it done. Uh, the New England guy, the home, the, the home crowd favorite. You know, we saw the chance with him walking up 18, him waving at the crowd. It was really cool stuff. So let's just kind of start there of what you saw from Keegan this weekend. And, you know, what, what a cool story it was to see him get it done in front of that crowd. Yeah, man, it's awesome. I've, I've been paired with Keegan Bradley at the Travelers before. And, I was when I was playing with them that that uh, Thursday, Friday that year, I remember thinking, my golly, he's got a ton of fans here. <laughs> he was easily one of the most popular players I've ever played with in a particular event like Keegan was at the Travelers. They absolutely love him there. He loves that event. I, I did a Srix on shoot with him out in L.A. earlier this year and asked him, I was like, hey, you know, if you had to win one tournament, what tournament you win? And he said, Travis Championship, like did not even skip a beat. The man. That's amazing. He just, it's, it's his event, man. He grew up in Vermont and I got a little heat on this for Twitter from this dude because I, I tweeted out like, how about those three weeks that we've had with the PGA Tour and the PIF and then uh, Nick Taylor winning in dramatic fashion in Canada and his whole country's event. And then the U.S. Open, Wyndham Clark, that storyline. And then we get to Keegan Bradley. And I said, yeah, he won, you know, his, you know, in commas or whatever you call them. What is it? Apostrophes? Quotation marks, perhaps? I'd have to take a look at the tweet, but I'm guessing it's quotation marks. (laughs) (laughs) So Keegan Bradley in quotation marks, I put, you know, he won his hometown event. And this guy's like, oh, it's not his hometown event. He's not even from there. I'm like, that's not how it works. Like, he's a New England guy. Vermont is New England, Connecticut, New England. It's all the same up there. They all cheer for Boston, Boston, Boston. So if if you're a Boston fan and everything, like that qualifies you to for it to be your hometown event. And man, it was impressive. Yeah. If if you are from the greater New England area, you qualify as a New England, you know, uh Boston general area guy. And if you're a, a hashtag well Ashley guy on Twitter, then uh, get out of our mentions because you're one of the worst people that exists on social media. So uh, <laughs> no, no, thank you like, for that from whoever that was. You see, my hometown event was in New Orleans for me. It was Zurich Classic. It was the event I wanted to win the most, even though that's not my hometown. I grew up in Birmingham, but I went to school at LSU and all the fans at the Zurich Classic always supported the LSU golfers. I watched David Toms win that event when I was a kid. And to me, that was the event. If I, I was, I showed up and I said, if I win this event, this would be one of the coolest experiences ever. And I feel like Keegan had got to basically have that exact same experience that I was hoping to have in new Orleans one day, but man, it, it looked like it was incredible. Those, those fans were supporting the crap out of them. Really cool scene to see. Um, Keegan, of course, a guy who's, who's played well this year, uh, who moves up from 15th to uh, fifth in the FedEx Cup standings after this win. Uh, wow. So a, as we're 
Yeah, so as everyone on tour is kind of jockeying for position for those top 70 spots moving into the playoffs, that's a big one for him there. Um, a guy who's currently second in the FedEx Cup standings and who has not logged anything worse than a top 12 since October of last year. Scotty Scheffler does it again, finishes tied <laughs> for fourth, 19 under, uh, second in strokes gained TD green this week, fifth in strokes gained total this week. 43rd and strokes gain putting. So I know it's, we are along with the rest of the golf media broken records at this point, continuing to talk about Scotty. I'm not even necessarily teeing this up, you know, to say, Hey, let's harp on his putting again. But I'm just curious as we continue to check in on a guy who's just striking the ball as good as anyone we've ever seen since maybe prime era tiger woods. What'd you see from Scotty this weekend? Uh, I got to watch him for like three or four holes today in early coverage. He was playing with JT. And I've, I've come to this assumption with Scotty Scheffler is that he plays the exact same round of golf every single day. <laughs> it's not like I sit there after every round, like when you're thinking about wrapping guys up at, on 18 and, you know, just overall theme, what you see from, from this guy today. And a lot of times for depending on the player, it changes, you know, you know, they didn't have this going there. They didn't have, it's the exact same thing every single day with Scotty. And I don't think any player plays a similar round of golf like Scotty has. It's insane, dude. I don't get it. it you know what? And, and let me just preface by what, with what I'm about to say by saying this is going to come back around and this is going to be a high compliment to Scotty Scheffler. But I have this odd working theory where I feel like I'm in the Truman show where everyone in the world is, is telling me, Hey, this guy's the this guy's the best player on earth. You know, nobody's striking it better than him. If he was putting well, he'd win every single tournament he entered. And yet every time I turn on the TV, it feels like Scotty's in trouble. Like he's just hit it. He's just yanked a drive, you know, left or, or blocked it right. He's out in the rough. He's scrambling for his life. He's, you know, he's, he's hit it in a hazard. He's, you know, he's taking a drop. And I don't, it, it's just this weird. I don't know what not, you're watching, man. I, <laughs> what, but it, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost bizarre. Bizarre, and it may just be just this odd thing of when I have the TV on or when I'm looking at it, when I'm doing other things. And I say all that to say it's almost a, a it, it, it's it's a testament to the golf that he's playing in a way that he can be in trouble often enough to where that is, you know, feels like almost the majority of the time of, of when I watch him on television yet. His scoring average is so freaking good. It's unbelievable. So I, I, I know that's a, that's a weird, uh, you know, anecdotal piece of evidence that I have in my own experience of watching Scotty Scheffler, but really, I think it kind of just reflects on his ability to, of course, he's of course to play the way he's playing. He does hit a ton of fairways. He does hit some incredible approach shots and, and he actually puts pretty well, you know, not all the time, but some enough of the time to score. Well, but for me, it's like, I have this weird phenomenon happening where I'm watching and I'm like, man, this looks like he's just in trouble all the time, but he's still getting the ball in the hole and he's still finishing top 10, top five every single week. It just, it blows my mind. The golf he's the, the run of golf that he is on right now. So yes, all of that is a thousand percent true. But one of the other things that I've, uh, that we were talking about on the broadcast today. And and it, I kind of came to that realization when Aaron Olderholzer kind of said, I think Scotty Scheffler is the best player out of the rough I've ever seen. Mm. And he's every single time now that I watch Scotty play out of the rough, I can't unsee it. I'm like, holy crap, he's unbelievable out of the rough. And that's not something that we talk about a whole lot. 
but I think because he has such an upright golf swing that he just doesn't get a ton of grass in between the club face and the golf ball. And it just allows him to have a ton of control of, uh, of shots coming from the rough. Cause you're right. He does miss fairways. If anything, he gets the poles going a little bit with the driver and he's, he's incredible out of the rough. So that's a huge asset for a guy that hits it as long as he does that maybe misses some fairways a time or two, like you're talking about, but can play with a ton of control from the rough. And we already know he's an elite iron player from the fairway, but it just can, it just knocks, you know, it's hard to get in a ton of trouble when you're, when you're on the greens, you know, more often than the other guy, you know what I mean? Oh, totally. And that's a really interesting observation from Aaron. You know, we, we so often hear people talk about the golf swing of, you know, the importance of, of, you know, getting shallow and the way you're shallow in a club. And, and obviously, you know, Scotty shallows it, you know, well enough to strike the ball at a tour level, but, you know, he does have that sort of steeper, uh, you know, swing and approach to the ball. And, and it's interesting to think about that in the context of where that makes him more successful than someone who, who is a little more shallow. And, and so that that's, um, or, you know, or flatter or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I, I, I think that is, and I forget who, someone that was part of your coverage last week at the U S open may very well have been Aaron then as well, but it made a note like that about the rough at LACC. And I thought that was really interesting in talking about the way Scotty swings it. So um, one to kind of, you know, keep an eye on, you know, put a pin in it as we continue to watch the season progress. And, and, you know, it's amazing at this point, it's like, I'm, I'm checking, I'm half checking the leaderboard, you know, throughout the week, just to see where he's at in the standings. And if he's, if he's, you know, lower down the leaderboard, it's like, okay, how's he going to manage to get it to, to back into a top 10 or a top five. And, and sure enough, every weekend he finds a way to do it. Um, you mentioned uh, JT there, and that's a guy I want to go to next because it's been tough sledding for JT, you know, of late, you know, the U S open was, uh, it was, was not fun. I can imagine for him. And, uh, the, the first round on Thursday at TPC river Highlands, he shoots that first round 70, which doesn't look terrible on paper, but then you see the rest of the scoring, you know, the rest of the field. And you're thinking, man, is he cruising for another miscut? He looked a little frustrated. He did get in a pretty hilarious quip, uh, while playing with Wyndham Clark that the internet seemed to enjoy, but then he just got it going the next three rounds and, and a really solid, you know, top 10 this week. Um, what in watching him this week, what were you encouraged by in the way he kind of picked it up Friday through Sunday? Yeah, I didn't get to watch him uh, until today uh, being Sunday and got to watch him for three or four holes. And uh, he, he said he didn't have the finish to, uh, today he was looking for, but he played some dang good golf Friday, Saturday. And in, in his press conference, um, I didn't get to read the clippings, but we talked about the coverage and JT just talked about how, you know, I kind of got out of thinking about golf swing and instead I, I, I leaned into playing more golf shots hmm. and this golf course of the travelers championship is finally one golf course where the guys can kind of ease up, ease up a little bit. You know, the golf has been fairly difficult to this point. This is kind of the stretch of the summer where there's a lot of birdies being made. And I think that helps a player it's in a funk. It feels like they're not getting anything out of their game that they show up at a place where they get nine to 10 wedges and a place like where JT, for instance, has had a ton of success and he's played this golf course well every single year. I think you get there and you're like, okay, I can play golf shots again. And I know I can hit these shots. And, um, 
and you're not quite as concerned about, you know, making perfect golf swings. It's like, you know what? I can get around this place. Just let me go play golf. And uh, I think JT did a really good job of that this week, uh, specifically getting it going on Friday, getting it and keeping it going on Saturday. Um, and, you know, not having the, the Sunday that he wanted today at four under through 17 and bogey and 18, but man, that's, that's not far off. Let's be real here. That's, that's not, that's not bad golf. We're, we're, uh, we're splitting hairs there. He had a top 10 and he was very close to, you know, getting that close to, uh, I don't know if anybody's beating Keegan this week, but maybe a, uh, second, third or fourth for sure. Yeah. That's as soon as you said that, that just makes me think, uh, back to the Jordan speed interview, you know, the conversation you have with Jordan, where he talked about just the difference between, um, making swings and hitting shots. And if that's what you're saying from JT, that sounds like a a really nice step in in a, in a direction to get him back to, you know, consistently finishing in the top 10 and, and, and challenging to, to win events and win majors. So, uh, a good one to kind of note there this week in terms of progress. Um, yes. One that I wanted to kind of, that I had at the end, but you mentioned there the difficulty of the golf course. And so I figured it's worth getting into now. Um, Some comments that Rory had about the golf course this week. And and listen, you know, I know a lot of people are going to call this, you know, sour grapes or driving an agenda. I mean, certainly wasn't complaints from a guy who didn't play the golf course. Well, Rory finished tied for seventh, all four rounds in the sixties, a pair of 64s on Friday and Sunday. But he basically was just talking about, Hey, that, that, this is a good example of a course that te- technology has passed by. And, and also is an example of a course where a rollback of the ball would really help. I'm curious, you know, if you saw those and what your, what your thoughts were on those. And even if you haven't, um, do you agree with what he's saying there? And do you have any sort of line of thought as to, cause I, I think in some ways, you know, kind of what you're saying there with JT, it might be nice, you know, every course doesn't have to be the hardest course you've ever played, especially the week after a U.S. Open. So is it okay to have a course like this? Or do you see it as a course where it's like, yeah, man, they either need to do something to toughen this thing up or we need something like the ball rollback to make this course more relevant again? Well, I mean, I think the rollback definitely would help. Um, I kind of go back and forth on the rollback. For me, you know, a golf course like this probably could benefit a little bit from that. But the conditions as well, it, there were softer conditions because of the rain that they had uh, throughout the week. So that that's what made the place play as easy as it did. I've played this place when they haven't had any rain and the rough is up and the greens get firm. And it could be, you know, years where, you know, 1600 to, you know, somewhere around 12 when it's playing really hard. I've seen it play really difficult out um, at that golf course before, that, but it was just one of the case this week, you know, you had to keep the pedal down and make a ton of birdies. It just wasn't uh, very challenging at all. And yeah, I got to watch Rory play actually a good amount of golf. And, you know, he was just a little bit off on Thursday until he made that hole in one, which I was there for. So that was pretty cool to watch him make an a, his first hole in one on tour. Uh, so that besides that, he kind of woke him up and he played some good golf after that. Just didn't play the par threes and par fives really besides making that ace on that par three. Um, he absolutely dominated the par fours, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's tough to go play the week after any major championship that you're contending in, uh, like Rory did, you know what I'm talking about? That's just, there's just not a ton in the tank to start out and either riding the high or you kind of have to work your way into the week. And I think that's kind of what I felt like Rory did after that hole in one, he kind of sparked his week, if you will. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, obviously Rory going back you know, and I guess about a month now to a place he's won before at the open championship, you know, in Liverpool. 
and uh, and and him being, you know, maybe the odds on favorite there because of his history there. Uh, do you see it that way, or is it hard to, you know, look at Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm and say, yeah, I, I like Rory more than those two guys, right? Or maybe not right now, of course, but but in a month, you know, when the, when when the fourth major of the season rolls around. Yeah, I think Rory will definitely be, uh, if not the favorite, one of the one of the top guys, and I think every everybody would be like, yeah, of course, yeah, duh, <laughs> he's won there and he's he's really good. But uh, I think one of the things that had caught my eye a little bit in what Rory has said when he talked about, I believe this was at the U.S. Open in one of his press conferences or an interview after, he was talking about I think he was it was around that time at Hoya Lake. And about him hitting irons off certain tees. And he was thinking to himself, huh, I used to play more course management and more conservative and not, you know, crazy aggressive. And to me, when a player has that aha moment, it's like, wait, maybe I'm pushing too much. Maybe I could beat these guys without having to be a superhero off the tee. And I think going into the British Open, excuse me, the Open Championship. Uh, <laughs> get, get the reference right, Smiley. We're, we're yeah, going to have yeah, loads of British people open, coming after us. The Open Championship. I, I think that's something that's interesting, though. It's like a guy that's like, wait, okay, yeah. hold on. I can win in my third gear. I don't have to push. But, you know, I, I have that if I need it. But let's not beat ourselves. Let's just keep it in front of us. And he kind of had that mentality going into the U.S. Open this year. and you know, was very close to winning. So, you know, if you think about that mindset and transferred over to the open championship, you're thinking, all right, well, you know, he's, he's starting to play some pretty nice golf considering how well he played at the U S open. All right. Let's see what he's got for the open championship. I'm with you. I think he's going to be contending. The interesting thing about that to me is if you are one of the best drivers of the golf ball in the world, uh, as Rory is, you're by definition going to have to hit more wedges into green because you're going to be hitting the ball longer and you have, you know, a shorter approach shot. Right. And this year, the weakness that we've really seen from Rory is, are those, you know, wedges he's hitting for approach shots. Um, and, and you juxtapose that against, you know, another guy that, you know, we've talked about a lot in this podcast and top three player in the world, uh, Scotty Scheffler. It, think about Scotty is, no matter where he hits the ball, he's going to have to walk up to the green and use a putter at some point. He can't get around that. Rory can adjust kind of in the way you're saying where, Hey, look, I can, I can give myself uh, you know, a, a longer approach shot maybe give myself a more comfortable stock shot, you know, whether that's a, you know, an iron or, you know, a long iron, a short iron, whatever that is. Um, do you, does, does that sort of theory or line of thinking hold any credibility with you at all in terms of, you know, improving his scoring average or taking a club that he's maybe a little uncomfortable with out of his hands? No, no, well, here's the thing. Like, Rory's an elite driver of the golf ball. You always want to have him holding that club in his hands. But I think it's more of just the course management side of it when you look at a golf course. Okay, it's like, you know what? I don't have to push quite as much here. You know, what's a good score on this hole today? And can I still make, uh, whether it be a, a par is a good score on this hole today or, or a birdie, I can still make a birdie from 170 instead of 130. And, you know, it's, there's just course management stuff that kind of goes on, you know, it's probably only a hole or two on 18 holes that you really are looking at here. But, you know, I, I just think it's more of a, a um, an overall mindset and how you look and attack a golf course. Nothing more than that. I wouldn't overthink it. 
besides because it may not have, have any effect at Hoy Lake on on clubs he pulls based off of uh, off of how the golf course is firm or fast that week, uh, or if it's playing slow. And uh, the only thing to do is hit drivers. So it's all going to be about the conditions that week. Hmm. Uh, a name that, that we must mention, you know, obviously a guy you're close with to finish tied for 13th this week's at 16 under Ricky Fowler. Uh, he obviously the highlight of his weekend was that 60. He shot on uh Saturday. He shot a 70, a 65, that 60. And then of course finishes with a 69 on Sunday. Uh, were you, how much of that 60, I, I, I did not catch much of the coverage. I'll be honest. We'll get to later in this podcast. We'll get to why I didn't see much of the coverage, but how, how much, uh, of, of that 60, did you witness in person? And what were your impressions of the way he played in that third round? See, I was on the golf course. Ricky started on the back nine that day, and I was following Rory's repeat off later on the front nine. And I think Rory was on about the seventh hole and Ricky was through 11 holes and I hear Aaron Oberholzer say, yeah, okay. Ricky's kind of got it going today. He's seven under through 11 holes. I'm like, Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> so yeah, he, uh, he kept it going too. made Eagle uh, on the sixth hole and then birdied, I believe the eighth and then, uh, almost birdied in the ninth to shoot 59. I mean, that was, was pretty sick, man. I mean, he's, it's, I'm getting really comfortable and confident every time Ricky tees it up. I'm like, this guy's just going to keep playing good golf. And boy, do I love to see it. it. It is certainly cool to kind of see him come around. I know uh, you, you are of the opinion that we'll see uh, the first Ricky win in a number of years this year. Do you want to take a shot in the dark here and, and predict the tournament, the setting, or, or are you a little superstitious? You don't want to go that far with Ricky quite yet. I tell you what, uh, he always plays Rocket Mortgage. Uh, that would surprise me one single bit if he wins next week. I like that. I'm I'm thinking, and this is I'm not trying to delay him at all. I'm thinking FedEx St. Jude. I don't know why. Yeah, just, he plays good I, in Memphis too. That's a, a spot that he loves playing. All right, so just what you know, we'll put a pin in that. We'll run that tape back if either of us is correct. Uh, a, a couple more uh, from the Travelers. Uh, a little shout out to Zach Blair. Uh, tied for second. Uh, I'm the proud owner of a butt club putter cover. So, you know, Zach, thanks for those uh, nice designs. My cousin, Jamie's at the tree farm. So to me, I always, I just love Zach because I think it's so cool that he has all these other things that are going around outside of his, his uh, professional playing career. And here he is, you know, playing well in an elevated event. I don't know if you caught any of Zach uh, today or or, or this weekend, but that was kind of a fun storyline. I saw. Yeah. I love my man, Zach. Uh, It's fun to, keep it up with all the stuff he's got going on. I love golf course architecture and and what he's been able to kind of envision and be able to accomplish. It's pretty cool and look forward to playing. Uh, It's called the tree club, right? Is that the name of it? The the tree farm uh, in Aiken, South Carolina. Yeah. Really really cool course. Yeah. Definitely want to uh, check it out one day. It looks, I I know it's going to be great. He puts a lot of, uh, I know he's put a lot of thought into it. That's for dang sure. It's uh the T's I'm blanking on the third one, but it, it's, it's like sticks bricks. And I forget, I forget the third T marker, but it's like kind of a hilarious, like it you know, really stripped down uh set of T markers. Um, But yeah, it, cool to see him, uh you know, finish. Uh, and, and I think, I think I'm pretty sure, I don't know the, the math on this, but I think he locked up his, his tour card next year with, with this uh, T2. So good for Zach. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. That. Really cool for hey, him. Who's, so, uh, can you, can you run down the list of 
where are the top 70 sits right now? Like who is, can you read yeah. me 65 to 75? Just say, I, I'm so used to the 125 bubble and it's a completely different set of players now that I feel like it's that are on the bubble. Now every year is different, but you know, typically you'll see players consistently, you know, finish in that 50 to 90 range. I'm kind of curious to see what, what player that is this year. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me just run through some notables starting at maybe like that 60 line as, as we're looking at right around that 70 cut line. So Keith Mitchell, 61st, uh, he slid a couple spots this week. I actually don't even know if Keith played this week. So I don't know if that was just a result of him not playing or, or, or what, but um, he is 61st uh, going on a few more names. Justin Thomas moves up 12 spots from 78 uh, inside the top 70 to 66. So this was a great uh, week for him in terms of uh, moving up a little bit uh, Two two young guys uh, that have had some success this year, kind of burst on the scene. Ben Griffin and Justin saw are 67th and 68th. Um, wow. So yeah, they've had good years too. That's yeah. That's what people don't realize is how guys like Ben Griffin and Justin saw who've had to me really solid years that they are on the line of keeping their, you know, to be able to make the playoffs. Now I know you can keep your car to 125 by uh, I, actually, I, I really don't even know how it works after the playoffs. It's kind of a mess to figure out how the eligibility works all the way through the end of the year. Uh, I know that you can continue to play or uh, it's kind of a rolling thing is the way I understand it right now, Charlie, but it's, it's crazy to me how good of years those guys have and they're right on that dang line. You, you're absolutely correct. And this in it, every time I look at this list, I'm reminded of something you've talked about a lot, which is it is so much harder to win or to even to succeed on the PGA tour these, this, these days because of how many good players there are. And, and I, I scroll up the list a little bit and just look, you know, at guys that I think are in that same general pool of young sort of upstart players. Some guys who have been on the tour a little bit longer, but you know, I look at like, Brandon Wu at 43rd or Davis Riley at 47th or Austin Ekro to 57th. And you're like, man, there are just so many of these guys, these young players who are this part of this new lifeblood of the tour who are playing. Well, there's only so many of them that can be in the top 70, only 70 of them to be precise. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's interesting. And so then if you go on the other side of that top 70 line right now, you have guys like Davis Thompson, at 73rd, who started out the season really hot and, you know, just kind of slid uh, over the course of the season without, you know, some of the notable finishes he had early on. How about Shane Lowry at 74th or Adam Scott at 76th? Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's that's the type of name we're talking about that, you know, just a, you know, just a little bit off of year for Shane Lowry or Adam Scott. And now you're on the outside looking in to make the playoffs, which is it's crazy to talk about, but that's the new that's the new day and age of the PGA tour is, is uh, less is more. It seems like. Yeah. You know, I'll hit you with a few more uh, before we kind of, you know, wrap here, but you got Cam Davis at 79th, Joel Damon at 80th, uh friend of the pod, Michael Kim at 83rd, uh, JT post and 84th. Uh, and, and then let's just wrap it with, with Zach Blair, who moves up 54 spots from 144th to 90th on that wow. list with the, the tie for second. So yeah, I mean, it's original. What about the original 125? Yeah. So if you, if you go down to that, that 125 line, 
I mean, the name that's going to stand out to everyone is Will Zalatoris at 127th, but that's obviously because he's been injured and has not been playing. Um, so the guys that have been playing, Doug Gim is 125th, Austin Smotherman 124th. You, you go a little bit further down, you have Harry Higgs 122nd, Taylor Pendrith 120th, Scott Stallings 119th. So that you know gives you kind of a feel for the type of player that you know would have made it into the playoffs you know last year, but no longer with the new yeah. top 70. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, that's something that we're going to continue to monitor to see, you know, if like, Hey, or, or should, should there be more the guys play like, you know, the rookies that are coming up in that category, that's hard to really you know, make that huge jump into that top 70 or are we leaving out a couple of guys that, that, you know, really have had incredible years that just didn't have maybe the same amount of opportunities that some of the other guys had, but you know, that's, that's just something that we'll have to continue to monitor in this new day and age of the PGA tour. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I mean, for me, if I'm trying to put on my like optimist hat and say, how can this contribute to a more, you know, overall entertaining product in the same way that we've been, you know, they've been trying to kind of sell us on the fact that the non-designated events in future years are going to be really exciting because they're going to feel like the Chris Kirk, Eric Cole showdown at the Honda classic this last year. I look kind of at the fall portion of the schedule and say, uh, I'm a, I'm a golf addict. I'm going to keep watching golf, you know, regardless of who's playing. So if it's this kind of section of players that are all kind of battling it out and finding a way to play their way in to this, this ecosystem, this next year, um, it, it's going to be a lot of good players because I'm looking at the list right now. And I'm saying these, these are all guys who in any given year could be top 70. It's just that for whatever reason, they aren't this year. So that's, that's the sort of spin that I'd put on it if I was trying to be positive. And I, I I'd like to think that it is worth being positive about. So man, it's, it's crazy how fast this tour season has gone. The fact that really we're is. already at, you know, the part of the schedule where like when the John Deere is like kind of on our doorstep, I'm always thinking, man, like, God, where did the year go? And that's basically <laughs> where we're at. The John Deere is like, um, two o'clock on a Sunday, you know, cracking a high noon on the course or like at the pool. And you're like, man, like this is great. And I still have things to look forward to, but this is about to be over. And it's like, it's a, the John Deere is a little bit like su- the Sunday scaries to me. Um, yeah. I mean, good for you for watching the John Deere. I, I don't remember the last time I watched the John Deere. I, I didn't even watch a John Deere when I played the John Deere. But, <laughs> So shout out to my folks at the John Deere. I actually love that event. This is not a shot at you. This is just the fact that at this point of the year, I kind of get golfed out watching it. That's just that's just me. I love watching golf in the early part of the year, but by the end, um, I'm kind of sick and tired of watching golf. Yeah, we're, we're, don't worry, Smiley. We we'll put together the Smiley Apology Tour coming soon. Uh, second on the list is uh, the good folks at the John Deere. First on the list, of course, TPC Craig Ranch. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> look, look forward to that uh, coming soon. Uh, what one more I wanted to kind of you know get your a little temp check on you from this weekend. Uh, no, you know, real huge updates on the PGA Tour uh, PIF framework deal, whatever we're calling this thing uh, at its current stage. 
other than that players meeting at the travelers with, you know, I guess the, uh, whether this sounds nice or not, some higher profile names, because of course this was an elevated event, whereas the RBC Canadian open was not where that first collection of players were. Uh, and of course that RBC Canadian open meeting was, was run by Jay Monahan, who's taken a medical leave of, of absence and we're wishing him the absolute best as he recovers. But I believe it was Tyler Dennis who led this meeting. Uh, and, and it seems like the consensus was, this was a much calmer meeting, still not a ton of answers, but maybe uh, more of an explanation. I guess Jimmy Dunn was pretty active in this meeting in terms of explaining to the guys there, you know, what they were trying to do with this deal and why they were trying to do it. Uh, anything that you got from being on the ground from players or otherwise uh, about how that meeting went or any other additional information on this framework deal? Not a ton. It was pretty quiet. A lot of just, a lot of just golf, nothing nothing crazy like we were experiencing you know the the prior two or three weeks i think the u.s open kind of halted everything which i think is good the fact that we were able to first off i think nick taylor winning in canada and then the u.s open being the following week you know it, all those conversations now are i think are very internal i think a lot of you know still a lot of stuff is being you know happening behind the scenes with phone calls this and that i I've heard some rumblings about some stuff, but nothing that I can confirm. Um, I'm just going to have to keep monitoring um, the news and uh, reading and just, you know, keep on talking to some sources, but nothing right now that's to me imminent. We don't want our show to be something that people run with and say, oh, they said this. It's like, well, we just don't know. We don't know on a couple things right now. And I don't want to run with that right now. So we'll just, we'll just say a little hush hush until uh, we continue to see some news outlets come out with a little bit more. Yeah. Yes. The, the official uh, smiley show headline is we do not know anything and please do not quote (laughs) us as if we know anything. And uh, that's about (laughs) as much as we have to say on that. Um, So, so, okay. Well, so then let's, let's move on to the the next sort of uh, topic of discussion here. And we will get to a preview of the rocket mortgage towards the end of this podcast, but uh, of course, uh, let's move. Let's move from talking about uh, the PGA Tour, the golf that happened there, to some golf that happened in our own uh, separate little golf worlds uh, th- this past week and weekend. And, and let's start with you. You you uh, made a little transformation from Smiley Kaufman into Smiley Kite at uh, Deepdale Golf Club. <laughs> Care to elaborate on that one a little bit for us? Man, I, I screwed up. I, I had all my contacts in a in a plastic bag and at my hotel in LA and I leave and totally, totally was sitting right there on the counter and I didn't grab him. And so I take the red eye from LA to New York, get to New York, um, probably around eight o'clock tea time was around one or two. And I played in glasses for the first time ever. Wow. And my glasses prescription is a little stronger than my contacts. <laughs> oh, no. And like one of my eyes is like stronger than the other and it's reflected in my glasses, but in my contacts, I wear the same strength of uh, prescription in both. So I, uh, to say I struggled coming off a red eye and playing in glasses, glasses was an understatement. Uh, I mentally wasn't really there. Like I didn't really care about playing good golf that day. I just kind of went out there and, basically hit it around and played par bogey golf 
I don't even know if I came close to making a birdie. Uh, had a case of the chunks with Ooh. the irons. And you're talking, this is, if if you'd asked me three weeks ago, I, I, I'm sitting here over here bragging about my golf game. That was the last time I'd played. <laughs> Coming off eight birdies in an eagle. And, you know, two or three weeks later, I don't know what the timeline was. I have good vibes when I show up. I'm thinking in glasses, everything's going to be great. I'm going to play a really nice round of golf. And we hit a couple balls on the range. And I knew from the moment I struck the first shot that this was not going to be a good situation (laughs) on the golf course that day. Um, I had a cocktail or two already to that point, um, which should not have had an effect on my range session. But even there, I was not all the swing thoughts that I had from that other um, round of golf where I played so well. Uh, we had, we had to, we had to throw a lot out the door, Char. It, uh, it was not, it was not a good deal. We had, uh, we were kind of jumping ship before we even got going and, uh, boy, it, it was a great group of dudes, David Coonan and Matt Kramer, my, uh, TV agents over at TA were hosting me out there and we had a blast. I mean, I just, I just told the guys like, you, you can see why I'm in TV now, I guess. Like I, <laughs> I kind of wanted to show you that I kind of had a little something in me, but man, I stunk. <laughs> but like, got I it. Okay, great. We're really going to work hard on that TV contract for you, Smiley. This is uh, yeah. <laughs> this is the temp check we're getting. I got two weeks at home, man. I'm going to uh, play some golf. I'm at home a little bit and and reconvince myself that that was just a fluke coming off a of red eye. You know, like you don't sleep at all. You know, you got your sea legs almost is what it feels like. Mm. You know, I've never played the golf course. I'm up there just sending it around. And I just had a case of the chunks. Uh, we've all been there. And, oh, and uh, bunker shots were not good. I kept hitting the ball first. That's not what you want to do. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, I've seen a tutorial or two on bunk, bunker shots on YouTube. I'd be happy to forward that over. Uh, I, I, I'm <laughs> pretty sure you're not supposed to hit the ball first there. Um, I, there there's a lot that I want to unpack here. Uh, the first place I want to start is what what is – what is it like playing golf with overcorrected lenses? I mean, like what, like what was, what was happening to you? Was the ball moving? Was the ball out of focus? You know, Cause obviously it's such a fine motor skill game. Like what was the sensation of being like, wait a second, I think the club's supposed to do this, but it's actually doing this. Uh, what's not overthinking. It just, I mean, it just kind of felt like <laughs> I was playing with some binoculars on that okay. was Fair. bottom line. It just felt like a little, it looked, just looked, everything looked, off to my eye when I look down at the ground and then you throw in a couple of cocktails in a red eye and then it's going to really start not really uh, looking quite right to your eye. So we're going to just totally, uh, you know, what's the gin, your gin handicap throws out your worst, however many scores. Well, you know, in my handicap system that I don't keep uh, on a gym, I, I've thrown that one out. We've discarded it, uh, but we do know there's work to be done. Well, so, and then I'm wondering if your vision was good enough to just, I'd love to get your overall impressions of, uh, of Deepdale. I'll disclose here that my brother, David is a member of Deepdale. Absolutely love that place. Uh, I am uh, campaigning perhaps unsuccessfully to get you to ditch the, your coverage of the U S amateur. So you can play uh, with me at Deepdale and the Eden buyers in August. But uh, if you can't make it, I completely understand. But, uh, and, and I guess that's yet another reason why we should convert from the smiley index to the uh, gin index. Uh, so we can have an official number there. What, what, what do you think of the course? That was great. Uh, the greens were very, I could see them getting very quick 
I don't, I think they were fairly quick that day. I, honestly, I didn't really putt much because I would just, I would hit a drive. I would miss the green. I would hit a shitty chip. And then <laughs> I would basically go kind of whack a 15 footer. And yeah, that's kind of, uh, <laughs> that was kind of my day. I didn't, I didn't really read a 15 footer because I felt like I was putting for par all day. And I just was not in the mood to grind over par putts, but from a layout standpoint, I thought there was some really cool designs out there. The par threes to me uh, felt like there were some very difficult hole locations to get to and some definitely some fairways that kind of, there were more dog legs than I was expecting. I think that was one of the bigger surprises is that there was some dog legs uh, where the fairways kind of got some firmness to them, made it a little difficult to actually hit the fairways out there. It's not a place that you necessarily want to play overly aggressive like I did the first day out. Really, it's a, a, a golf course you'd rather, you know, be a guy who hits a ton of fairways and doesn't hit it that far. Then I feel like you'd have some more opportunities than I had that day, that's for sure. It's a pretty cool little like CB McDonald, Seth Rayner uh, routing out there. Uh, I, I, on the, on the, the greens slash putting front, I will say, I, I remember the, the, the last time I played there, the, the caddy I had was like, you know, hit this putt, um, you know, whatever, like uh, 85% or something. And I, I think I proceeded to hit it by, by about uh 12, 12 feet. And he was like, uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna have to find a different way to talk to you. <laughs> it was like, uh, yeah. Or, or I might just not get these green speeds all day long. Uh, your call either way, the money's going to be the same at the end of the round. Um, that that's, that's cool. Well, I I'll say that we had a, a very, uh, fun, interesting connection via deep Dale, uh, because you were on the course at the same time, uh, as our boy, CJ, uh, Craig Johnson, who made an ace at deep Dale the same day they were, you were there. Uh, he, he bought you a high noon at the bar deep Dale. And then CJ and I played together. And a member guest this weekend. What were uh, CJ did now? You tell tell me the thing that you told me when I I, I asked you about uh, whether or not you'd run into him. The, the first identifier you used for CJ. Yeah, we we're just in the locker room. I met him before the day had started, and he's an LACC member. Was uh, because we were on the same flight, and that somehow him and I realized that we were on that same red eye the night before. And so, wow, actually, I'm thinking about this in my head. Okay, somebody else was on that flight and made a hole-in-one. I'm kind of putting this together in my head right now. It's like, wait, so other people played good that day that I had a ride? So, oh, gosh. Uh, anyways, I would get done that day, and uh, he comes in the locker room, told us he had a hole-in-one. We're like, oh, great, we're heading to the bar. Let's, why don't you come buy us a drink? <laughs> and uh, we, before we went to the bar, he uh, – showed us his uh, Golden State Warriors rings. I guess he's some form of part-time owner. I guess you could probably fill us in on that. But he marks his golf balls with uh, the Golden State Warriors rings, which I thought was a ultimate flex that I can't even imagine doing. It's uh, that's pretty insane. Uh, good for him. Uh, that's, that's pretty tight. Uh, I'm sure he's done very well being a, a part-time <laughs> owner of the Warriors. So good for, good for him, huh? He, he's CJ is, is truly one of a kind. Uh, he does carry the four uh, golden state warriors championship rings in his pockets with them at all times on the course uh, and, and uses them as ball markers. Uh, he even told us what this weekend play. that so, sometimes he uses them as a stint meter reading. You guys are asking how, how fast the greens are rolling, he rolls the rings. Like, I don't know. How, how fast are they rolling? Uh, 
<laughs> he uh, had the, uh, they were a, a big piece this weekend at the member guests. A lot of people looking for photos with them. I actually, I'll have to text you these. I got some, uh, some nice photos of, of Walker with the rings. Um, I did not show uh, CJ the photos of Walker chewing on those rings. Probably he wouldn't have enjoyed seeing that, but uh, yes, my eight, my eight month old son got a little uh, photo shoot with, with the title <laughs> rings uh, that will be framed uh, some, someday and taken. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. So yeah, so CJ and I played in this, um, this old Chatham uh, member guest and uh, how you know, did you play? How does uh, Nike irons hold up? Yeah. So man, there's so many different places to go. So yeah. So as you and I have documented privately, uh, I made the absolutely insane decision as a five and a half handicap to, uh, put some Nike VR two pro blades, uh, in play this weekend. And you know what smiley, like I actually hit them pretty decent. Uh, I would say I, I, I both do and don't want to see the strokes gain report on this tournament because I feel like I would have been you know, top five, top 10 in strokes gain off the tee. I probably would have been middle of the pack, maybe above average, uh, you know, for, for approach. I hit my wedges. I, I hit my wedges really, really well, you know, maybe like 130 yards in maybe the best I've ever hit them. Uh, I could not buy a putt to save my life. I, I, I feel like it's a kind of karma in a way for all the, the, the analysis I've done, of Scotty Scheffler's putter struggles this season really kind of came around in a big way. I I hit maybe the worst putt of my entire life today. Uh, and, and it's going to haunt me. I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight where I had like maybe a, a little, uh, it, it was a tough pin placement right on a ridge, maybe like sort of a downhill eight footer, let's call it. that was supposed to come a little bit right to left. And I hit this putt and I probably left myself like 15 feet coming back up the hill. I, I, it was like my brain just broke in the moment. So, uh, CJ, uh, I can't imagine you are listening to this. If you are, I'm very, very, uh, sorry about and upset about my putting performance. And I promise, uh, in the future, if I'm given a second chance to redeem myself, I will, but it was just, you know, what, smiley. It was just, it was just one of those weekends. It's just like it, it, a lot of good stuff happening. Uh, and I was not expecting to hit the irons the way I did and was happy about those, but I just, I just could not, it, it was an icy cold putter weekend. Yeah, it's, it's a tough scene. Uh, just, I mean, how are the vibes? It's really all I care about. If it was a 10 out of 10 vibe week, then it was a successful member. Yes. To absolutely like 12 out of 10 vibes week. The, the, okay. The, then you to win. Who cares? The staff at <laughs> old Chatham old, old, this place is so cool. Um, it was like, and it was a really good crew and like here, I'm just going to like go into, uh, you know, mini name dropping zone, but a bunch of the guys who, who used to play in the Carolina hurricanes uh, are, are now out there. So like, you know, played with cam ward today a former goalie like one of the nicest human beings i've met hits the ball like 330 off the tee unbelievable uh justin williams uh was was an absolute riot like one of the more hilarious like these guys a whole group of them they're like chirping each other the entire time this par three contest have you heard my hockey story um uh, that have i told you this story yet I've, I mean, well, I, I guess the most recent hockey story of yours that I've heard was the Pittsburgh Penguins at Palmetto Bluff. Oh, no, but do tell one, if you have more this, hockey stories. I think I probably told the, uh, I know I told the Tampa Bay Lightning boys the same story when I was uh, down at the match. They were out all after their game. They came out and watched Tiger and those guys play that, that day. But I told them the story as well. So it was Jordan and I in Phoenix one year. I think we're at dinner. and. 
one of the players for the Dallas Stars happened to be in the restaurant. And that whole year, Jordan was like, or I, if it wasn't Jordan, it was all of his friends that were in group text with. They always watched the Stars games. And for whatever reason, that year, all the Stars games were going over. So every all of our group text is betting the Dallas Stars over goals scored. <laughs> okay. And so you can see where this is going. And <laughs> so we we meet uh, this guy uh, on the team. I, I didn't know. I don't know very many hockey players' names. I didn't grow up watching hockey. I'm just not. I'm, uh, I'm just not in tune, but I'm getting better. And this cat's name is Ben Bishop. And okay, at yep. the time, Go- was he was know- he a goalie? Is that do I have that right? He's the goalie, and okay. I didn't I didn't know he was the goalie. And <laughs> uh, I was like, ah, oh, dude, like, yeah, stars. Good to meet you, Ben. Like, I've been making so much money on y'all's teams betting the overs, and. Later, oh my god, it was either Jordan that said, like, dude, you know, that's the goalie, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so, JT always gives me really, he gives me a lot of grief about uh, that as well. That's that's a story that that I, I tell all the time and we laugh about. And Ben went on to be like super sick goalie, so it's not like uh, it could have been a defensive issue that year, I don't know, but. They were scoring a ton of goals. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. And I it's harder to recreate a scenario like that in which you're like basically talking to a guy's face and saying, Hey, like the Not thing right, that you Bob. really stink at is making me a lot of money. Thanks, bud. <laughs> hey, maybe Dallas just had a really good offense that year. Uh, and he was so good in goal that they still hit their overs with his elite goalkeeping. I don't know, but it's still is not something I would recommend telling a goalkeeper is that you bet the overs. That's amazing. Uh, I I just, in general, hockey guys, just great hangs across the board. Like if you can play in a, especially in a golf setting with, with guys, hockey guys, it's always going to be, you know, the booze is going to be flowing. The chirps are going to be on point. Hilarious. The, the vibes are going to be high, high energy, uh, so it, it was, it was a good crew this weekend and that was the most important part. Um, and the staff out there at OC, you're just like top notch. So I was, I was, uh, you know, that, that it was a little bit, that's why I was so bummed. I was like, man, I really wanted to like play well in this and, and like lock down the spot long-term. But, um, after the putt I hit at 18, like I may never be allowed on the premises ever again. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I wistfully looked at my review mirror as I pulled, uh, off the old Chatham property thinking, uh, this may be it for me. Uh, and, and if so, at least I have the memories from the weekend. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really fret about it. Those, those events are all about having a good time. And if you happen to win great, but it's, it's all about, you meet so many people at those member guests or member members, whatever it is, uh, always feel like it's the highlight of the summer I, it's you know what's frustrating too is that you've played like three three you're busy every weekend playing a tournament it seems like and you played so much more golf than me this summer that it's pretty frustrating to be honest I I hate that for you. I, I kind of got this vibe, but in the same way that I wouldn't want to tell a goaltender on a team that uh, he's making me lots of money by letting in a ton of goals. I didn't really want to like point that out to you, but now that you pointed that out, um, 
Yeah, bud. I mean, what do we got to do? Cause I, I would love to get some golf on the calendar. You know, I, I know you're out at Shoal when you can be, um, but, it's but busy we time of the year, man, it's, it's a busy time season, of the man. year, we're, you know, yeah. that's, that's the bummer about, about covering golf is it doesn't leave a ton of time to play golf. How do we fix that? Uh, I don't know, man. It's my first year <laughs> doing this for a full year. Uh, I love what I'm doing right now. I, I, even on the road, like I bring my clubs every now and then, but I have no desire to add, you know, at tournaments to go hit balls or anything. It's just too much. It's, it's just a mess. I'd rather just get home and, 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 uh, enjoy my time with my fam and go out and maybe play a round or two, uh, while I'm home. So yeah, regardless, yeah. you know, golf's just, it's just an avenue to, to get out and have a good time and, and hang with the boys. You got to get the play that you got to get to is pushing Anna Carter for nine holes. Uh, and, and just, and then you get the double credit for spending time with your, with your daughter <laughs> on the course while playing golf. I've got this thing down to a science with Walker. It's the nah, best thing going. And, here's and, and, the problem on that, man. Is <laughs> I, I have to like warm up every day when I'm on the road, when I go and watch golf, I have to warm up to walk. And wow. that's when you know you're getting old is when you have to warm up to walk. I have to go through all of my act, my uh, my activations to make sure my knee doesn't hurt by the end of the day. So <laughs> that's where I'm at, where I'm at home. It's like, well, do I really want to push a stroller around too? And I, or I can just ride in a golf cart, you know? <laughs> that's that's a fair point. At that point, then you have to become like an engineer to figure out how you're going to get the child transportation device locked into the golf court. Uh, banged up, man. You got your neck on my yeah. knee. It's just, yeah, banged I'm, up. Over I'm here. seeing the spinal old. surgeon tomorrow morning. Um, this is, I mean, listen, dude, this is, this is a golf pod. This is a dad pod. It, it's all of the above. I feel like there's a, a huge, that Venn diagram might just be one giant circle. So I think we're in good company here. Um, to, to, to put a bit of a, of a bow on, on the member guest, uh, chat, uh, Let's talk formats a little bit. I know it's something you threw in the notes. I'd love to hear you kind of start this off here. What what type of a format, you know, now that you're transitioning out of playing professional, you know, uh, four round, uh, you know, gross, uh, whatever you want to call it, metal play golf uh, into this, into this member, these sort of, you know, club run tournaments, member guests, member, member formats. What do you like in terms of a tournament? Two thoughts. And this one, it comes to the scoring and the competition component. Number one, there should never, ever be a chip off to decide anything. And there there should never be a scorecard playoff if there's a head-to-head component. So those those are two big ones. And then a third really big one as well, I believe that when you get to the shootout, Nobody should ever get strokes. Now, if there's seven different flights, what you can do is stage where everybody tees off from. Yep. So let's, you know, put the worst guys on the on the ladies tees. Like, just stage them out. There should not be any strokes in that format. So those are my three hot takes as far as, um, they're not even that hot. It's just the way it should be. And I'm trying to think if there's any other bugaboos that I got. but. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big count cut a guy. I, I always mm. think those get, those get a little too overblown. I wish there was an easier way to do the count cutters and they, and they, 
they're so different at every one you get to that I'm always kind of confused half the time that I never really get too involved. And I wish it was a little easier than that. I, I understand gambling odds way more than I do understanding a value of what an 18 handicap and a, and a 24 handicap has in a seventh flight. You know, I'd rather have like gambling odds for every flight and be able to just go from there instead of just the Calcutta. I, I man, a lot to unpack there. Love all of it. Uh, let's just start with the Calcutta because uh, at <laughs> I was not there playing in the tournament this weekend, but of course had a syndicate of my buddies who, who, you know, wagered on the Calcutta tournament at Hope Valley this weekend. And uh, the winner of the tournament uh, very curiously shot a net 65 and a net 63 on Saturday and Sunday. So uh, the handicap committee might be taking a little peek into that. That is the, that's the downside of a Calcutta. But at the same time, I think the nice thing there is if you know who the sandbaggers are, you know, I, I I get what you're saying. It should be weighted and it should be odds. And I've played in tournaments where there is sort of a, a live adjustment to the odds as money comes in. But then it's almost like it, it's too weighted on someone walking in and putting down a bunch of money. They can just completely skew the odds on their own instead of it being a, an evaluation of the playing ability of the two guys that are that are you know paired up together in this tournament. So the, the nice thing about the Calcutta is you can sit in a room with a bunch of other people who kind of vaguely know what these teams and players should be worth, but don't really know until they actually get out on the golf course and play. And, you know, fun way to kind of drum up a nice pot. So I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I think that, you know, in terms of the actual on-course playing format, I am going to uh, snip the, the front end of your statement and, and walk right into uh, the Hope Valley Pro Shop at my early earliest convenience and just play that through a megaphone because we decide all these cut downs of uh, you know our member 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 guest tournaments with chip offs and it's one of the like hokiest things I feel like that exists in the game of golf like it just it's like that as that'd be like you know kicking field goals to decide a, a, an NFL game you know or, or, or a national championship why would you ever do that. Like, I, I, I think, you know, just, you got to keep playing the hole at that play at that rate, you know? So um, I do love what you're saying about the tiered T thing. You cannot do strokes in, in, in a shootout setting. And, and that's, that is, uh, you know, how, how it's been done in the tournaments I played in where like, let's say there's eight flights, you got, you know, top two go from the tips next two go from the whites, you know, next two go from the golds and the final two go from, from the reds. Um, I, I think that's a pretty fair way to do it, to kind of level out the playing ability without doing strokes. Uh, and I love a true alt shot, uh, uh, format for those types of things. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think three, just do it on a part three, part three, a, know, a good, like a just, long part three. It's the best just, way to do it. And you just, just stage them out, you know, or just go to the 18th hole and put the flight, you know, we do this in Shoal Creek and we'll put from, I think I was that like 175 yards. And then the last flight was closer to like 115, 125. So, I mean, that's the way to do it. I think. I hundred percent agreed. Our, funnily enough, our, our 18th hole at Hope Valley is a 210 yard par three. So it's perfect. You know, you're asking the best players to hit long irons. You're asking the kind of middle of the pack to hit sort of a, a mid iron, or maybe depending on their length, uh, you know, mid to mid to long iron. And then the guys who are at the lowest level or, you know, hitting kind of a mid to a short iron you know, it's all pretty fair. You can't complain too much. You know, if a guy who's a 20 handicap 
can hit the green with an eight iron and, and, and get it down and, and one or two, he probably deserves it. Uh, you know, so I, I agree with all that. I also think that there's an interesting element of, you know, um, the scoring thing, because like this weekend we did, uh, five, nine hole matches. And then you obviously yep. get, you, you get a point for a, a whole win half point for, you know, having the hole and no points for losing. And then it it's, you know, within your flight, you know, the amount of points you accumulate decides who, who wins and loses. I like the five, nine hole deal. I think that's the most fair way to do it. And another cool deal that that Shoal does for theirs, I think, so if, let's say you don't win your flight, but you finish second and you score a ton of, let's say 10 points wins your flight and you have nine. If that number is the highest of all the second place flights, then you get into the shootout. So there's a way to get in the shootout without winning your flights. I always thought that was a cool added deal to like, okay, these two teams are obviously the best in their flight and you can kind of work your way into that shootout. And, and the other uh, end of that spectrum is perhaps my favorite thing about uh, my favorite aspect of a tournament, which is the death flight. Are you familiar with, with how the death flight works? Smiley? <laughs> no, I haven't heard anything about a oh, death flight. <laughs> the death flight is amazing. So basically what happens is all the uh, losers for, for, for a, a lot of these tournaments, you'll, you'll play 27 on Saturday, right? So like, you know, three, nine hole matches and all the teams that are at, in last place in each of their flights get put into a separate flight for Sunday's matches called the death flight. Now, they still play their scheduled matches within that flight, but they are they are being judged within this sort of separate death flight on points accumulated. And whoever scores the most points, I, I think some some places do it where it's just Sunday points. Other places do it where they still will give you your points that you scored on Saturday, even though you hardly scored any because you're in last place. But they'll 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 add it up. So then whoever has the most points in the death flight makes it into the shootout. And in the last two places <laughs> I played, it's, it's amazing. You, you, you get to your cart on Sunday morning and they have two hats in your cart that have skull and crossbones on them. It's like, you're a dead man today. And it, it's <laughs> my, my brother and I made it, uh, out of the death flight in the playoff, uh, at the Hope Valley member guest last year. And it was absolutely amazing. You're like, you're so bummed about how you played on Saturday and you show up and you're like, Oh my god, like, like a badge of honor. Yeah, 100%. You're like, I'm alive. I can do it. It's it's a great <laughs> and, it, and it's a great way to keep people who, you know, instead of just checking out or throwing matches or are engaged on day 2 and trying to kind of do it out of the death light. I that's maybe my favorite tournament tradition that I've seen. I love that. That's a you know, the death light group typically is the most fun group as well, so you can pick totally. out Probably if there's five people in the death flight or five groups, you know, three of those five are, are the most fun people at ever cast. <laughs> right, right, because because they're the ones who uh who have been indulging perhaps a little they, bit too yeah, much on Saturday. Too, <laughs> they, they went no, no, they went too hard at the Calcutta Friday night. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's a snowball effect, and and they're just starting to sober up on Sunday morning and realizing, oh wait, we might still win this thing if if we uh, can get it done today. Uh, no, it's it's uh. I, I I love that so much. Um, why? Well, any other any other uh, any other notes from from our golf weekends from tournaments in general? I feel like that was a pretty comprehensive review. But anything else to mention there? 
No, uh, that's all I got, man. I uh, got two weeks off. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was uh, this is the Florida Gators just put the biggest uh, whoop it oh, on yes. my LSU Tigers in game two. I think Florida is still rounding the bases, but <laughs> what I'm hoping is that we wore them out too much. They got too tired from running around the bases too many times that they're going to be too worn out for game three for the national championship. That's my, uh, that's my hot take. It must be said. I mean, you it's, it's just like, you know, I know this wasn't like a practice round, like this game obviously counts. The series is tied one to one, but you know, it, when you're, when you're heading into a tournament and, and you're making all your birdies before they count, you're like, wait a second, hold on. I actually want to miss these putts. I got to save some of these birdies up. Yeah. It, it must be said that Florida scored 24 runs in this second game. I think they might've scored all their runs, which sets up very yeah, nicely for an LSU comeback tomorrow. We're going to be worn out for sure. And we, uh, we threw once we conceded the game when it was like I think nine or ten or eleven to three or something. We threw guys that haven't thrown since like May, so that it was we're saving all of our guys for tomorrow because that's obviously the you know, all you got to do is one win one now. So that's it. So I mean, listen, I'll I'll cop to not being a huge college World Series guy, but so tomorrow's like do or die, right? Like that's that's the last yep, game. One game. You love to see it. Well. Of course, this is a very pro LSU Tigers podcast. So go, go Tigers! Let's go, yeah, go Tigers! Yeah, go Diamond we, Tigers! <laughs> we transitioned. We transitioned to Tar Heel fans in basketball season, and uh, yeah, football season is going to be interesting for us because I am a diehard North Carolina football fan. Um, we'll, we'll 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 figure something out there, but yes, I can do I can do LSU Tigers baseball. It's you want to do day, Carolina yeah. hoops. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out when we get the fall. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what about a little bit of a rocket mortgage preview? Um, this is one where, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier where we we're in this sort of lull period. We're past the U S open. We're looking ahead of the open championship. There's, you know, the rocket mortgage. There's the, there's the, you know, the John Deere. Uh, but I, I, I kind of love this, this part of the year. And, and honestly, I love this event because I'm a Donald Ross nerd and Detroit golf club is, is a Donald Ross design. It's a, a almost 7,400 yard par 72. Um, I, I like seeing it on TV, all the interesting green complexes. Um, this week we've got Tony Finau is our defending champ. Uh, other notable names in the field are, uh, world number nine, Max Homa, uh, JT and Colin Morikawa both making their uh, tournament debuts. Uh, Keegan Bradley, Ricky Fowler also in the field. Uh, and, and and your boy Smiley Gordon Sargent getting a sponsor exemption. This is his first non-major PGA Tour event. So with all that said, uh, lots to look forward to. Rocket Mortgage. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most this weekend? Yeah, actually, we've got to keep track on Gordon Sargent. Uh, if he makes the cut, that's going to be huge in his PGA Tour U accelerated program to where he might have a full tour card in 2024. I think he needs mm. 20 or so points. He was just announced to the Walker Cup team uh, later in September in St. Andrews, and he's expected to be on the USA team. It's like an M thing. I don't know what it's called, but apparently that gets you a point got a point playing for the U S open. So he's, I think he's got two starts that he has right now lined up. And if he makes the cut in both, I'm pretty sure that he'll have a PGA tour card for 2024. So that's something to look forward to all those names 
of guys you said. I mean, Tony Finau just sounds like a guy that will always play good at this place. Um, I've played this golf course. To me, it's it's not very challenging. Uh, it's tons of birdies are out there. It's a place where you just literally hit it as hard as you can. You know, there's some holes where you know you have to be a little careful, but you know it's it's not an overly difficult golf course. One that you know if, if by this time of the year, if you're if you're playing somewhat well, you you shoot on you know anywhere between three to five under every day. It seems like. It's interesting because in and you talked a little bit about this when we were when we were you know going through JT's sort of resurgence of you know it's a time of year where you're coming off a really stern test in the U.S. Open and you, and you're kind of shifting gears and getting ready to play a very different style of golf going overseas for you know both the Scottish and leading into the Open Championship um, and so I I don't really hate uh, you know a chance for these guys to kind of exhale a little bit uh, build up some confidence play some courses that you know, or maybe a little bit less challenging, if you want to say it that way. Um, so, you know, with that said, I mean, are, are do you like any, I use, you, you know, I know how much you like Tony Finau, not only because he's a defending champion, but just, you know, his ball striking stats all season have been uh, amazing. And that's something you've really noted. Um, but do you like uh, someone specific? You also mentioned Ricky Fowler earlier in the show. Yeah, any I other- love Rick. You love, you love Rick this week. Um, love Rick. Love love JT this week. I mean, um, I, I would pretty much say that about any week they tee it up. I'm always a believer. So I, I guess weeks that I don't say them, just know that I'm always um, I'm always riding it. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna keep. Uh, I, I love Min Woo Lee any week he's teeing it up right now. I don't know if he's yes. playing this week, but if he's not, if he is playing, I love him this week. He's just. He seems like he's getting he, more and more confidence every week he takes it up. So Min Woo is actually heading overseas. And I, I want to I want to get the event right that he's playing. Um it's really odd. Like, Why is he playing overseas? He he's he's playing the British Masters next week. Uh, uh, well, I, I just I, feel I, like Min Woo Lee should be in any event he wants to be in right now. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I love, uh, I love watching him play. The guy absolutely bombs the ball. Uh, great follow across all social media, including TikTok. big TikToker. as, as you know, smile, you're of course an emerging star in the space. So this is something you know already, but, uh, <laughs> nah, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Follow me on TikTok. It's sick. Yeah. It's so <laughs> sick. It's like the sickest thing ever, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's interesting that sort of scheduling, but kind of, as you noted, this is an international guy and maybe for him, you know, part of his open championship prep begins with going over there, acclimating to a different style of golf, uh, acclimating to a different, obviously time zone. Um, and so we'll see if that pays off for him. I mean, that's a guy who uh, is the British masters Wentworth. Is that what you said? Uh, the British no, masters is the bmw's wentworth it's at the belfry uh the defending champion thorbjorn olsen richard bland the year before um yeah i i it looks like it's had a variety of different sponsors i'm not going to profess to know a ton about the the what is now being called the betfred british masters but I mean, I, I, what I do know is that it's overseas. And so it makes a lot of sense for a guy who's trying to kind of get uh, prepped in the run up to the open championship to go ahead and, and, and get going with that, with that level of prep. I, I wonder where he will, if he's going to play at all, like I, I imagine he might play this week. If, if it is indeed uh, the British masters this week, play this week, take the next one off and then play Scottish and, um, and, and then, you know, the open championship after that. I love that. We're just 
we are all in. We're diving in deep into Minwoo's schedule right now. <laughs> I am all in on the Minwoo train. Uh, he's a great dude. Uh, he hits a stinger. It's sick. Uh, love that guy. Uh, big Minwoo guy. Absolutely launched a driver on his on his last hole to finish off the um, 374 yards on the 18th hole. The Travelers, his last sort of bomb of the Sick. week, posted about it. Um, yeah, I, I'm. Listen, I, you know, I I got to be honest. I was like, is this section even going to make it into the podcast? But now I'm so deep on Minwoo's schedule that it looks like there's some sort of event in Denmark the week after <laughs> the Betfred British Masters. So maybe we'll see him pop up there. But for sure, we'll see him at the British Masters and then the Scottish Open and then the we'll 151st see him there, Open. Man. I'll be, we'll see, you know, we'll see. be down in on Min- the British Masters this weekend as I'm you know, four high noons deep on through the back nine. <laughs> Hopefully playing golf because Lord knows yeah. you've been deprived of too much of it. Yeah. So uh, that, that, it'll be on the course. It'll be on the course. It's Fourth of July weekend, which is odd. I'd rather Fourth of July weekend be the, the following, not the prior. It just doesn't make sense because like nothing. We haven't gotten to celebrate it yet. I don't, I don't know. It's an odd 4th of July week this week. It, it is very strange. And you, of course, so you're you're at home the next two weekends before you are heading overseas for the Scottish. That's correct? Yes. So we will dive into all that uh, as we approach uh, the Scottish in the open. Love to hear it. Well, I mean, that that's all I got. That was a pretty robust recap, taking us in all directions. I don't know that we did too much rock and mortgage preview there, but, you know, I think really the, the dedicated Smiley fans are going to appreciate the uh, the Minwoo Lee preview as we are now fully in on not only Minwoo Lee himself and his amazing TikTok presence, but uh, the ins and outs of his schedule. So th- there you have it for uh, <laughs> this edition of the Smiley Show. My man. All right, brother. We'll put him straight this week. <laughs> you too, brother. The Smiley Show is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast.